As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the annals of Middle-earth, it is well known that Isildur, High King of Arnor and Gondor, failed to destroy the One Ring when he had the chance, instead preserving it as a keepsake and an heirloom. Yet how did he come to lose the ring? What evil circumstances conspired against him? Join us as we explore the disaster of the Gladden Fields. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Tolkien Road, Episode Two Fourteen: Unfinished Tales. The Disaster of the Gladden Fields, Part 1. Hello everyone, welcome to The Tolkien Road, Episode 214. Greta, hey. how are you? I'm, uh, I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. Doing well. Awesome. Uh... Weather's starting to get right about where I like it outside. Uh, don't even have to use the AC here in the studio on a day such as today. So this is right in my uh, right in my cruising zone. Cruising zone. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a little chilly for me. Yeah. But I'm glad you're happy. Good. Yeah. Well. I do like fall. I do. Yeah. I just, you know. If it were sunny, I think I'd like it better. Yeah. It's the overcast gloominess that I don't like. Mm. I don't mind the cold or the chilly or the beautiful trees. The trees are amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. But it's just the cold damp I don't like. I like the overcast gloominess. I know you do. Yeah. I know. It's just, uh, 
I like it now and then. Now and mm-hmm. then. I'm just glad I spent a lot of time outside yesterday because I'm not going to be outside today. Well, That's okay. so. Well, hey, everybody. So on this episode, we are beginning a two-part look at the disaster of the Gladden Fields from Unfinished Tales. Before we get started, we'd like to give a shout out to our patrons. Special thanks to this episode's executive producer, Caitlin of Tea with Tolkien. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Yes, thank you, Caitlin. Also, a shout out to our newest patron, Riff M. Riff? Yeah. Cool name. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you, Riff. Uh, That's a cooler name than John, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Sure. (laughs) Um, And... Hey, you too can support us on Patreon if you don't already. So why aren't you doing it yet? Head on over to patreon.com slash Tolkien Road. Becoming a patron lets you support the show in a tangible way and lends you some awesome perks like early access to new episodes and more. So yeah. I don't see why people wouldn't become patrons. Me neither. Right. It's beyond my scope of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel people all over the earth right now rush, rushing... <laughs> to their computers and being like why am i not a patron yet what the bleep yeah Yeah. had to bleep that was a professional bleep had to bleep that because it's a we've got to keep our uh our our rating in check Mm -hmm. i don't know what our rating is all right Uh, it's a clean rating yes we're family friendly here all righty even if the last episode did did uh cover the uh, potential sexiness of Latron Prime. Yeah, I was wondering if, if that was going to affect our rating at well, all. Well, I feel like we kept it, you know, we didn't get all, we weren't like explicit talking about it in explicit no, ways. No, we weren't. So. We weren't. But maybe a disclaimer would be good. So, you know, parents don't put it on in the car while they're driving with well, their I children. Well, the, I called the episode Latron Prime, the sexy age. So, oh, okay. But maybe that's enough of a disclaimer so, in and of itself. I thought to myself, this could get really dangerous. Who knows what who knows what people are gonna find me and what they're gonna expect from this episode with that with that kind of title. And yet you named it that anyway. It seemed appropriate. Okay. What can I say? Okay. It seemed appropriate. At the time. Um yeah, so hey, also you can leave a tip on an individual episode if you just think an individual episode is just so darn special. Head on over to TolkienRoad.com, find the post for that episode, and click the leave a tip button, the blue leave a tip button, and we'll get that tip. So Yeah, that's a, that's a cool feature. We'd appreciate it if you did that. Every little bit. Every little bit helps to support mm-hmm. the show and, and make it better and better and better. Yep, so, yep, all the things. Yeah, so um, also subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. Please leave us a five-star rating and say some nice things about us. If we like what you say, then we'll probably read your comment on an episode. So you get to hear your, your own words read on the episode. What, what, I was did you think I was going to say something I, else? I was trying to think about what else you could possibly say. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I was expecting. Well, I, I knew what I was going to say. I was just searching for the words. I see. Okay. Yeah, leaving five stars in a review helps get the word out about us. So please, if nothing else, head on over and leave us five stars and tell the world what you love about the Tolkien Road. Uh, no real Tolkien news this week. So, hmm. you know, I, I'm hmm. guessing there's a mad scramble in the uh, Latron Prime production team to after like our episode after our out, episode to like just sure. completely scrap everything mm-hmm. and, and start start, start afresh. Mm-hmm. Um, fire all of the. All the nude actors. Right. Right. Hopefully they give them their clothes back first, but <laughs> go ahead and fire all those nude actors. So I'm sure they're... Uh, I'm sure they're busy. Yeah. So they haven't had time to put any news they got, out. They got to completely replan and reshoot the whole first couple Recast, episodes. You know? re rewrite the script. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. So we're going to cut them some slack for yeah. the next couple weeks at least. I Maybe think. one week. You got another week. And then one, we want to hear okay. some news. I think that's fair. Yeah. So at that point, it would have been two whole weeks, I think. Boom. Yeah. Okay, correspondence. Uh, stick around to the end of the episode. Greta, are you ready to tackle the disaster of the Gladden Fields? You know I am. All right. In a tackling mood, are you? You know it. The account, excuse me, this account of the disaster of the Gladden Fields is found in Unfinished Tales, Part 3. It is the story of how the One Ring came to rest in a marshy vale between Mirkwood and the Misty Mountains and remained out of sight and out of mind for almost 2,500 years until it was discovered by the store Daigle and stolen from him by his cousin Smeagol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that's what this episode's about. This chapter is uh, really 
like a lot of things in Unfinished Tales and in the history of Middle Earth, you kind of get the main thing of what we have from what Tolkien wrote. And then you get a lot of notes and editorial comments by Christopher. And this chapter is no different in that regard. So what we're going to do on this episode is we're going to look at the main text. And then next on the next episode, we'll go into all the detail on some of the really interesting notes that he included after the main body of the tale. But this week, we're just going to talk about the main narrative that Tolkien constructed to talk about the disaster of the Gladden Fields. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, I thought that this account was initially how Isildur came to get the ring. Nope. So I was a little confused for like a paragraph. No, this is after he gets the ring, I know, right? I realized that yeah. eventually. But I thought maybe it'd be helpful to clarify for our listeners that you already did that. Because you mentioned it's how the ring becomes lost, mm-hmm. not how it is found. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important distinction. Uh-huh. Okay. Well... Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. So mm-hmm. this is not about this. This is, this is, it begins with Isildur already having the ring in his possession. Right. Right. So, um, and I'm going to read the intro. If you go to the intro in Unfinished Tales, there's, uh, Christopher says some things about each of the, each of the chapters in the book. It's actually pretty short, but I've, I figure it's appropriate to read it beforehand. He says, this is a late narrative, by which I mean no more in the absence of any indication of precise date than that it belongs to the final period of my father's writing on Middle-earth, together with Kirion and Eorl, the battles of the, Ford, the, battles of the Fords of Isen, the Druidine, and the philological essays excerpted in the history of Galadriel and Celeborn, rather than to the time of the publication of The Lord of the Rings and the years following it. There are two versions— a rough typescript of the whole, clearly the first stage of composition, and a good typescript incorporating many changes that breaks off at the point where Elindor urged Isildur to flee. The editorial hand has here had little to do. So basically Christopher is saying that there's really not a whole lot that he had to do to make this ready for publication mm. based on what his father wrote. So what that tells us is that we're getting more or less what J.R.R. Tolkien mm. himself said. What he put to paper. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. All right, so um, you know, Greta, before we before we dive into the text, what were your mm-hmm. kind of what was your impression of of this, other than being surprised that it was about after he has the ring? Mm. Um, I guess I was surprised that um, that there was still evil around. Yeah, because I thought that that Sauron, Saruman, Sauron, Sauron. <laughs> I still can't keep them straight. I thought he was dead mm-hmm. and had been vanquished. And so, and I thought, well, I just assumed that with him, all the evil forces would have been vanquished as well. Yeah. So I was, I didn't understand why all of a sudden there were orcs around again. Right. So that, that was a little surprising to me. No, that's a good point. That is a really good point. Um, you would think that with Sauron vanquished like he was that, um, that all the evil forces would have been vanquished as well. And it would have been like this, you know, era of peace. Right. Yeah. But of course he wasn't vanquished in full because the ring still existed. Because the ring still Because failed to destroy the ring, right? When he had the chance. Yes. Okay. So that's the um, big problem. But of course this starts a little later. So we find out in the first paragraph that Isildur becomes king of Arnor and is a man of great pride and vigor. Yeah. So... Isildur, as we've seen, you know, we, we've kind of gotten more familiar with Isildur over the last, uh, you know, several episodes because he he does play a role in at the end of the Second Age, even before the infamous, you know, failure to destroy the One Ring, right? Mm-hmm. He's actually seems like a very heroic man, yeah. right? He is, do you remember like the key heroic thing he did when Numenor was still around? Tree. He saved Nimloth, right? Yeah. Or I'm sorry, he saved a fr- he saved the fruit of Nimloth, which then became the white tree of Gondor, right? right? So, uh yeah, you know, so yeah, he, and he did, and he did so at great peril, right? right. He almost yeah, died he in did. the process, right? Yeah. So, uh Isildur, we all kind of know him in general as the guy who thanks a lot for not destroying the one ring, but the reality is that he's a mixed bag, right? Uh, he was he was very heroic and he and he did some very heroic deeds. Uh, who knows all of the things that he might have done in the war of the last alliance of men and elves, right? Um, so, you know, he's he's a mixture of good and bad, he like is. most. 
Yes, right? exactly. Like, like, like most pretty men. much the human race in general. Exactly. Yes. But it says in particular that he's a man of great pride and vigor. Okay. Mm. So yeah. uh, he remained for a year in Gondor, restoring its order and defining its bounds. But the greater part of the army of Arnor returned to Eriador by the Numenorian road from the fords of Isen to Fornost. All right. So just a little, I know you guys can't see this map, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try my best to describe it for you. Cause I think the map is a little helpful in setting the stage here. So if you're looking at a map of middle earth, just basically like the one that's in the back of, of, of the, uh, of Lord of the Rings, then the map that they refer to there, the Numenorian road from the Fords of Iden to Fornost, right? So you go and you look between the Southern tip of the Misty mountains and then the, um, and then the northern tip of, I believe it's the White Mountains, the little fork that forks off up towards the Misty Mountains there. And there's that little, uh, that little gap, gap of, I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's referred to as the Gap of Rohan. It's also referred to as the Fords of Isen. But there's a road that goes all the way up from there, all the way up to Fornos, which is about, which is about right here and uh, in the middle of Eriador. And, you know, from there it's, it's a much easier road up to up to travel up to Arnor, but it, you know, it's uh, looking on a big map like this, it can seem deceptive how long a journey that would be, right? So mm-hmm. it's a it's a pretty long journey. But anyway, there was a road at least in in uh, ancient times. I'm not sure about the status of it at the end of the Third Age, but there was a road that existed to connect Gondor and Arnor, basically. Okay. Right. Yeah. Good so, that. They're they're far. They're, they're far apart. They are very far apart. Yeah. All right. So when uh, he, he wishes to return to Imladris first before returning to Arnor. Do you remember why that is? Because his wife and kid are there. That's right. Yeah, his wife and his youngest son are there. Yeah. Right. We're going to learn more about all all of his sons in this chapter, but his youngest son is, of course, uh, I believe Valandil. And uh, let me double check that. Yeah, Valandil. And Valandil is, of course, the one from whom. Aragorn is descended, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so where is Imladris? Imladris. In Imladris. Well, Imladris, you would know to... by a different name. Or would I? Yeah. What is it? <laughs> it's Rivendell. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he. I You're like, why can't he just call it Rivendell? Oh, yeah. Because it's Tolkien. Yeah. So Imladris, of course, is on the western uh, slope, western edge of the Misty Mountains. Uh, to the so east, it's kind of on his way of to Arnor, Weathertop, right? Well, we're going to get back to that. We're going we're uh, to come back to that, but okay. let's let's look at what the text has to say. Okay, let's so do that. he's got to return to Imladris first. All right, so um, and he had, and it says he had an urgent need for the Council of Elrond. What do you think the reason for that is? Uh, to tell them about. No, wait, I don't know. The One Ring, right? You know, to, uh, he hasn't to get his, told them yet? To get his counsel. I'm not sure if he told him at this point or not, but to get his counsel at least on what to do with the One Ring, right? Okay. Yeah, so... Seems like that's something he should have done ASAP. Well, so the reason he ends up going the way he does, so but he doesn't go the, the, the road of Numenor. That's the point, right? Um, he Instead of going that road of Numenor, he decides to go north from Asgiliath and basically go like travel the eastern side of the mm. Anduin by right? Mirkwood by, Merk- by Mirkwood which mm. at that time was you know was Greenwood right Greenwood the Great okay. so he basically decides he's going to travel up the eastern bank of the Anduin between Anduin and Mirkwood and Greenwood and then he's going to cut over and cross the Misty Mountains um, into Rivendell and it turns out that that is a is actually it is actually a quicker way for him to go if he's going to stop at in Ladris, yeah. right, in, okay. in Rivendell. So, Plus, he didn't have any horses. They didn't, right? So they were saying it was also faster to go this way because they were going to be on foot, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was a long journey, but it was shorter than the alternative. And the expected time from Asgiliath to Imladris to, to is 40 days. Right, so it's okay. about a forty-day journey they expect on uh, foot with all of the company of, of men that he's keeping. So in the second year, of the third age, he set forth from from with Gileath, as Gileath, um early, expecting to reach Imladris in forty days. Is what it says. Okay, I'm just clarification question here. Mm-hmm. Why is he in Osgiliath? 
to start with? Well, Asgiliath would have been the capital of Gondor at that point, right? So, And that's where he was living before he became king of Arnor? Um, I, I guess so. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at that. Okay. So It's not a big deal. I was just wondering. Let's see. What, what was he before he became king of Arnor? Because he basically becomes the high king of, of Numenor. Uh, he becomes the high king of Gondor and Arnor. Um, oh, so Isildur and his brother Anarion jointly ruled Gondor in the south while their father dwelt in the north. Then Elendil, their father, dies in the last alliance of Minden Elves, as does Anarion. So Isildur becomes the high king of Gondor and Arnor. But he puts he puts Meneldil, who is Anarion's son, in charge of Gondor when he leaves. So it's kind of like Arnor is basically where is supposed to be the seat of the of of like the height like the Lost Realms, right? It's supposed to be, you know, you can th- you can think of Arnor and Gondor different is different different realms, but really they're they're united, right? They're a united realm and they have one king and mm-hmm. that's the high king. Okay. okay. So and there's then- there's like a king of Gondor, but he's kind of, you know, below the, the high king of Arnor and Gondor. Okay. So he was in Gondor. Yeah. Because he, he just, he just stayed there after the end of the, the last Alliance of Men and Elves. I right? see. Okay. He had just been there. Yeah. Got it. He was trying to put everything in order in Gondor. Um, okay. cause obviously it had been a big war and mm-hmm. you know, there was lots of danger and disorder and you know, that's right. what they say in the first paragraph right he remained for a year in gondor restoring its order and defining its bounds okay gotcha Um, yeah okay so good question he sets out with his three eldest sons Mm. all right so let's let's go over his three eldest sons all right so we already mentioned valandil who is his young youngest son um his three older sons are elendur aratan and kirian right yep so those are the three those are the three who are with him and they are grown They They fought in the, in the last Alliance of men and elves. So, and then Volandil is just a boy, I believe at this time. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah. Cool. Um, and then, so they set out on this 40 day journey, um, from Osgiliath to Imladris. And then 20 days in a storm blows up from the East. The rain becomes so bad that they have to turn from, from the Anduin and closer to Greenwood. Right. So they are on the Eastern bank. So they have to go, they have to perilously move away from close to the river where you can imagine it's probably more open and everything like that, right? There's, mm-hmm. you know, less risk of something attacking you from the woods and they have to actually move closer to the woods, right? right? Okay. To get out to, of the worst of the storm. In order to get out of the worst of the storm. Okay. So, yeah, you know, the storm's blowing up from the east. I feel like there's a couple of different times that that happens, you know, in in the legends of, in the legendarium, um, this bad weather coming in from the east and you always wonder, like, you know, is, who, is Sauron behind that in some way, right? I mean, how could he not be? Well, I don't know. I mean, does, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily well, that he is, but... No, I guess that's true. I mean, storms can arise naturally. That's true. Mm-hmm. But just the timing of it all seems rather convenient. Yeah. Well, as we'll see, it, it maybe is. Or, or maybe it's just the, um, you know, it, it, and, and, and one of the themes, I think, of this work is the is the possibility that there's kind of the hidden mysterious will of Sauron still at work in all mm-hmm. in all of these things, right? That because even though Sauron is a physical presence is vanquished, the ring being there, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like it's... Um, it's almost like it's his soul. Yeah. Like it's a tesseract of some sort. Yeah, and it just gives off bad luck vibes for whoever has it, right? Yes. Um, yeah. It's so trying cursed. to get... It's trying to get back to, uh, you know, it's trying to get out of destroy you get out of your hands and into you know somehow find its way back into Sauron's hands. So one thing I wanted to note was that um it mentions Amon Lank here and Amon Lank was the um will be the future site of Dol Guldur, right? So uh and this is mentioned when it brings up the rain it says the rain lasted for 4 days so when they came to the entrance of the va- to the vales between Lorien and Amon Lank Isildur turned away from the Anduin swollen with swift river and went up the steep slopes on its eastern side to gain the ancient paths of the sylvan elves that ran near the eaves of the forest right so so really where they are if you can look on your map if you just find Dol Guldur and you find Lorien you see how those are like 
east that's like on a they they lie on an east east west axis with each other right there mm-hmm. okay so and then you have the anduin river right here which is much closer to lorien so basically you can think they were close to lorien and then they had to move closer to dol guldur right mm-hmm. and at this time dol guldur is not dol guldur it's just amun lank but it's interesting that that place that eventually becomes an important a seat of power for Sauron mm-hmm. seems to play into the story here as well. Yeah, that is so, interesting. Um, then we have uh, that 30 days in, things are starting to look better. So they're 30 days into this potentially 40-day journey. We can imagine that they're probably further north from where they are. They're probably drawing near to this spot right here that says the Gladden Fields, right? Mm. Yeah, they're probably getting up closer to this to this region right here. All right, which, you know, you get up, uh, they're not too far from where they might want to cross over towards Rivendell, right? Yeah. Right. Kind of, you know, uh, northwest. Gladdenfields mm-hmm. is kind of, it's like, you know, northwest shot to Rivendell right there. But maybe they're not ready to cross the Anduin yet and, uh, you know, and make their journey up the Misty Mountains. So they're still on the east bank. And with that, they hear, they start to hear the sound of orcs. In fact, they hear so many orcs, they think they're 10 times outnumbered and they form defensive ranks. Um, it actually goes into some detail on like the different, some of the different rank, uh, tactics that the Numenorians may have employed. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. It talked about a shield wall of two serried ranks. So I'm, I'm guessing like serried meaning like kind of like a serrated edge, right? Where oh, it's kind of got the teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, you know, that can be in, bend back and forth at either end if outflanked and, uh, until it became a closed ring. It even said he would have thought of charging them, charging these orcs and just trying to break f- through any lines they had but it wasn't really a good spot they were in to do so. Right, because so, they were like in a valley. I mean, they were, yeah, they were kind of in a a spot that gave the orcs an advantage. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, at this point, Isildur starts to show the signs of the ring, right? He starts to think, uh-oh, um, the will of Sauron, right? The vengeance of Sauron is coming. All right, so it's almost like this is something that's haunting him this whole time. He says to Elendor, The vengeance of Sauron lives on, though he may be dead. There is cunning and design here. We have no hope of help. Moria and Lorien are now far behind, and Thranduil four days march ahead. And we bear burdens of worth beyond all reckoning, said Elendor, said Elendor, for he was in his father's confidence, right? So Elendor is the one who says that last line, and we bear burdens of worth beyond all reckoning. Everything before was Isildur. So they'll never learn how to how to edit dialogue properly <laughs> how to how to format dialogue properly so you don't automatically start thinking that somebody else says something um or that the same person is saying that some something somebody else is saying yeah I'm just trying to keep you on your toes yeah That's absolutely fine. yeah so this you know we have this dialogue between Isildur and Elendor and then Isildur commands Otar to take his stuff, right, and flee, right? So Otar is his... Esquire. His Esquire, yeah. Um, You want to go ahead and read that paragraph there? The orcs were now drawing near. The orcs were now drawing near. Isildur turned to his Esquire, Otar. He said, I give this now into your keeping. And he delivered to him the great sheath and the shards of Narsil, Elendil's sword. Save it from capture by all means that you can find, and at all costs, even at the cost of being held a coward who deserted me. Take your companion with you and flee. Go, I command you. Then Otar knelt and kissed his hand, and the two young men fled down into the dark valley. Yeah. Boom. So he's taking a sword? Elendil's yeah. sword? Narsil, right? The shards of Narsil, right? Okay. Yeah, and uh, of course, it's it's not the full sword. It's the shards of it, right? Right, um, yes. That, because Sauron had... Um, had the, the sword had been basically broken into a bunch of pieces in the battle with Sauron. Um, but he takes the, she- the sheath and then the shards of Narsil, and then, so that's how these items came to be in Rivendell, in gotcha. Imladris. Okay. Yeah. Because Otar... Was yep. able to make it safely. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, Otar flees. That's how the shards of Narsil come to be in Imladris. And then we have the first wave of orcs coming and attacking, right? So, the good news is the first wave of orcs does very little damage. Um, and they're able to fend them off. And Isildur, after fending them off, decides that it's time for them to resume the march north. 
and hoping that they gave such a punishing to the orcs that they will leave them be. But of course, as we might expect, mm. that's not going to happen. Nope. So, orcs are going to orc. Mm-hmm. Now, I found this uh, next paragraph very interesting. All right. So, it says, but he was mistaken. About? It, it says, but he was mistaken. But what was he mistaken about? Well, why don't you let me read? Oh. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm reading the thing, so I'm just saying. But he was mistaken, but, okay, I'll tell you. He was mistaken about the orcs leaving, right? The orcs basically uh, not coming back, right? Okay. So gotcha. that was the manner of orcs who were most often dismayed when their prey could turn and bite, but he was mistaken. There was not only cunning in the attack, but fierce and relentless hatred. The orcs of the mountains were stiffened and commanded by grim servants of Baradur, sent out long before to watch the passes. And though it was unknown to them, the ring, cut from his black hand two years before, was still laden with Sauron's evil will and called to all his servants for their aid. The Dunedain had gone scarcely a mile when the orcs moved again. This time they did not charge, but used all their forces. They came down on a wide front, which bent into a crescent and soon closed into an unbroken ring about the Dunedain. They were silent now and kept at a distance out of the range of the dreaded steel bows of Numenor, though the light was fast failing and Isildur had all too few archers for his need. He halted. Now, what do you think I found interesting about that last paragraph? Um, mm, about the uh, grim servants of Baradur. Well, yes, that they called that it calls to them, but that's actually what I was thinking. I'll tell you. Okay, just tell not, me. I'm not meaning to toy with you. I just wanted to see if you could guess. <laughs> John, uh, I just want you to stop mansplaining. Okay? Well, I know. I'm stop ba- being mean to me. I'm bad about that. I'll stop yeah. mansplaining when you stop womansplaining. You know I'm just what? Saying. Mm. I'll, yeah. uh, hey, this is this is talk explaining. Okay. <laughs> Explain. This is explaining. Well, you're asking me to read your mind, is what you're asking me to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I just wanted it's to see if you guess. I just wanted to see if you, if it would be the same thing you guess. Anyway, it's. I, I didn't find anything interesting. Oh, okay. You just to be completely honest. All right. Yeah, I skimmed it. You were like, started falling asleep. I was like, can I go I read? read? Can I go read my other book now, please? Oh man, don't make me fire you. Oops. Yeah. I better stop. All right. Tell so, me, what did you find interesting, John? So the thing that I found interesting was uh, that they form that that the orcs basically instead of coming at them like they did before, right, just full on assault, they form a crescent around them and eventually meet up. And what does it form? It forms a ring, right? Oh. So it forms a ring around them, around the Numenorians. Like the ring, right? The one ring, exactly. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, that so interesting. Um, you know, it 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 doesn't. I mean, it doesn't, like, textually, it doesn't give it, seem to give it, like, you know, a ton of, like, it doesn't make it all woo-woo necessarily. No. Mm-mm. But I just thought that was really interesting that the first time they tried to attack, the orcs just, like, kind of did what we probably think of orcs doing, which is like, let's go get them, raw, and then they get beat because they, they're not well organized and, and they, they attack foolishly and the Numenorians are good at defense. But when they step back... Um, they 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 reorder themselves and then they come with this you know, organized ring, which almost like strangles them, strangles mm. the Numenorians, right? Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was really interesting that the what ends up being successful against the Numenorians is that they form this ring around them, yeah. right? Especially yeah. in that paragraph where we hear some, you know, things about the will of the ring, right? That it's still doing Sauron's bidding, all right? So the orcs slowly close in as if hoping to strangle the Dunedain and Elendor asks his father about using the one ring. So... Uh, he says, Atarinya, uh, what of the power that would cow these foul creatures and command them to obey you? Is it then of no avail? And Isildur says, Alas, it is not, Senya. I cannot use it. I dread the pain of touching it, and I have not yet found the strength to bend it to my will. It needs one greater than I now not know myself to be. My pride has fallen. It should go to the keepers of the three. Uh, and the Keepers of the Three is, of course, a reference to the Keeper of the Three Elven Ring. So Galadriel, mm-hmm. Círdan, and um, and uh, Elrond. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he realizes. Mm-hmm. He realizes the power of of the ring, but a little too late. I'm mm-hmm. afraid. Yeah. He does well. I think he. I feel like he had a good sense of it even before. You know. I mean. I feel he had had it for a few years now, right? So you think he would be kind of 
knowledgeable of the of the power it might right. have. I mean, not all of the power it might have over him, but he knew he knew how important this ring was this ring was to Sauron, right? Every everybody knew the power of this ring. Right. But I mean he didn't willing like at least this at this point he says it should go to the keepers of the three. Like he yeah. recognizes that he himself is not is not qualified mm-hmm. to keep it. But if maybe if he had realized that sooner, this all would have been avoided. Yep. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It is a good, is point. A good point. You're right. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> so um, when night comes, the orcs fling themselves upon the Dunedain with reckless abandon. They pay up to five to one in the exchange, so five orcs for every Dunedain. But at the end of the day, their numbers are so large. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That's going to overcome the Dunedain regardless. Mm -hmm. So Kirion is slain. Aratan is mortally wounded. Um, Of course, the two other of Elendil's or of Sildur's sons other than Elendor who are here. And um, and so, yeah, Kirion is slain and Aratan is mortally wounded, attempting to rescue Kirion. Um, and then, again, Elendor pleads with Isildur. He pleads with Isildur about the use of the ring. Um, do you want to read these next few paragraphs, beginning with Elendor, not yet harmed? Elendor, not yet harmed, sought Isildur. He was rallying the men on the east side where the assault was heaviest, for the orcs still feared, still feared the Elendil... Elendilmir. And Elendilmir, that he bore on his brow and avoided him. Elendor touched him on the shoulder and he turned fiercely, thinking an orc had crept behind him. My king, said Elendor, Kirion is dead and Araton is dying. Your last counselor must advise, nay, command you, as you commanded Otar. Go, take your burden, and at all costs bring it to the keepers, even at the cost of abandoning your men and me. King's son, said Isildur, I knew that I must do so, but I feared the pain, nor could I go without your leave. Forgive me, and my pride has brought you to this doom. Elendor kissed him. Go, go now, he said. Isildur turned west, and drawing up the ring that hung in a wallet from a fine chain about his neck, he set it upon his finger with a cry of pain, and was never seen again by any eye upon Middle-earth. But the Elendilmir of the West could not be quenched, and suddenly it blazed forth red and wrathful as a burning star. Men and orcs gave way in fear, and Isildur, drawing a hood over his head, vanished into the night. Yeah, so so this uh, Elendilmir uh, is the star of Elendil, or the star of the North Kingdom, a jewel made of mithril. It became a token of royalty throughout the kingdom of Arnor, having been first crafted and presented to the High King of Gondor and Arnor, Elendil the Tall, in the Second Age. Elendilmir was a radiant white gemstone set on a silver fillet and was regarded as Arnor's royal gem. So, so he's wearing that. At the Isildur is wearing it. Yes, he has it he on is. his person. Yeah, yeah. And this is the same. It's it's actually the same thing that will. You know what? I'm gonna. Th- there's a lot in the notes of this Mm -hmm. chapter. We're going to save that for the next episode. Um, But some really interesting notes. I did kind of wonder if this was the star of the Dunedain, right? Um, That is referred to, that we talked about when we talked about the fourth age, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. Sam receiving the star of the Dunedain. Yes. Um, So, and I think we actually found our answer, at least the most definitive answer we're probably going to find in the notes to this chapter. So you'll have to wait Mm -hmm. till next week or you can go ahead and read and see if you can find what I'm talking about. But, uh, you can read ahead, but um, we'll talk about that next week. Um, good bit of discussion on the Elendil Mir to talk about. Cool. So okay, yeah, all right. 
All right. So, um, but yeah, we, we see a Sildor fleeing. Okay. At this point, he's, you know, basically a Lindor is like, you know, pretty much you need, you need to get out of here. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so he, he, uh, Isildur flees with the one ring and, uh, the Elendil mirror of the West, uh, suddenly blazes forth even as he puts it on. Right. So he puts on the ring, you assume he's going to become <laughs> invisible, but apparently the, the, um, Elendil mirror still shines forth. Right. Which is a really interesting, mm-hmm. um, thing to note. So everything, but the Elendil, Elendil mirror was invisible. Apparently so. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So only one Dunedain survives and Elendor does not. Um, we do hear some really nice things said of Elendor. Of what befell the Dunedain, only this was later known. Ere long they all lay dead, save one, a young esquire, stunned and buried under fallen men. So perished Elendor, who should afterwards have been king, and as all foretold who knew him, in his strength and wisdom and his majesty without pride, one of the greatest, the fairest of the seed of Elendil, most light to his grandsire. So Isildur, of course, we you know we hear of his pride at the beginning of this mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. And one thing that marks his son Elendor is that he has maybe the same or greater wisdom than his father, but he doesn't have the pride. So, mm. uh, which of course only will serve to amplify his wisdom, right? right. You know, his ability to make wise, detached decisions uh, that benef- to the benefit of all. So he would have made a really good king. He would have, which you know amplifies the tragedy of this, Absolutely. of this, right? Amplifies yeah. the disaster of it all. Mm-hmm. Who knows what what may have been different, right? Yeah. Who knows what may have been different in the whole history of of uh, the Third Age if um, Isildur had just destroyed the I One just Ring? Destroyed the One Ring. Yeah. Well, we would have had a lot less to talk about on our podcast. <laughs> this is true. That's for sure. Yeah, this is true. And we most likely would not uh, even have the book, The Lord of the Rings. Exactly. So. Exactly. Or even The Hobbit. Yeah, we wouldn't. Yeah. No. So. Crazy. Well, so I guess uh, I guess in a weird way, we're very thankful to Isildur for being such <laughs> a selfish jerk. He's preserved our, being, being such a <laughs> our hobby. Prideful, prideful a-hole. So. <laughs> Well, see, good can come of even the most darkest moments. Yes. Maybe it's our own little you catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Still door. The, the, the happy fault. The happy fault. Yes. So. All right. Well, let's... So we've got a little bit about Isildur's fate here. Uh, do you want to read the next two, Now of Isildur? Now of Isildur is told... I got to stop you. It's Isildur. I like the way I'm saying it better. <laughs> we got told that you're supposed to put the emphasis on the second syllable. For these Numenorean names. Isildur. 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 Yeah. Okay. Now, Isildur, it is told that he was in great pain and anguish of heart, but at first he ran like a stag from the hounds until he came to the bottom of the valley. There he halted to make sure that he was not pursued, for orcs could track a fugitive in the dark by scent and needed no eyes. Then he went on more warily, for a wide flat stretched on, to, stretched on into the gloom before him, rough and pathless, with many traps of wandering feet. So it was that he came at last to the banks of the Anduin, at the dead of night, and he was weary, for he had made a journey that the Dunedain on such ground could have made no quicker, marching without halt and by day. The river was swirling dark and swift before him. He stood for a while, alone and in despair. Then in haste he cast off all his armor and weapons, save a short sword at his belt, and plunged into the water. He was a man of strength and endurance that few even of the Dunedain of that age could equal, but he had little hope to gain the other shore. Before he had gone far, he was forced to turn almost north against the current, and strive as he might, he was ever swept down towards the tangles of the gladden fields. They were nearer than he had thought, and even as he felt the stream slacken and had almost won across, he found himself struggling among great rushes and clinging weeds. There suddenly he knew that the ring had gone. By chance or chance well used, it had left his hand and gone where he could never hope to find it again. At first so overwhelming was his sense of loss that he struggled no more, and would have sunk and drowned. But swift as it had come, the mood passed. The pain had left him. A great burden had been taken away. His feet found the riverbed, and heaving himself up out of the mud, he floundered through the reeds to a marshy islet close to the western shore. There he rose up out of the water, only a mortal man, a small creature lost and abandoned in the wilds of Middle-earth. 
but to the night-eyed orcs that lurked there on the watch he loomed up a monstrous shadow of fear with a piercing eye like a star they loosed their poisoned arrows at it and fled needlessly for isildur unharmed was pierced unhar unarmed was pierced through heart and throat and without a cry he fell back into the water no trace of his body was ever found by elves or men so passed the first victim of the malice of the masterless ring isildur second king of all the dunedain lord of arnor and gondor and in that age of the world the last yeah so it's too bad he almost escaped mm -hmm. it seems like the the star sold him out um, well, I, I don't think it is deliberately did. Um, well, not deliberately, but I'm saying that's why they were able to find him. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was the, uh, you know, it is an interesting detail, I guess. Uh, you know, you could say that's an interesting detail. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems like it should have the opposite effect. It should be a sign of, it should be a protective jewel, right? It should, yeah. it should serve to protect, but in this case... It, well, I it think was it, the reason they were able to see him. I think it does in a way, right? Because when he first escapes from the battle, it like blazes out and it scares everybody away so that they leave him alone. But then in this case, it it basically when he's trying to hide from everybody, it gives him away because it's so bright it's that so the orcs bright, see yeah. it and they think he's some kind of crazy one-eyed monster with a shining bright mm -hmm. eye. And so they they shoot their arrows and run, right? But he wouldn't have been invisible at this point because the ring had fallen off. Right, but it's nighttime, so you know and it's so it's so bright like you know when you see like a flashlight at night you don't initially see the person who's carrying the flashlight you just see the flashlight right no that's true that's so. true yeah um yeah so that's that is the fate of Isildur right so the ring leaves him in the gladden fields and uh and then he meets his death at the hands of these orcs but it's, they never find his body yeah but we'll get to that in the next episode right okay yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. There's yeah, a lot of interesting, interesting detail in this story. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll talk a lot more about the Elin Dilmir. We'll talk more about the, uh, yeah, what happened to Isildur's body. Um, just all kinds of, all kinds of interesting detail to discuss here, discuss here, discussed <laughs> to discuss here. So. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, I guess I'll just have to be patient. Yeah. Okay. I want to save all, you know, I want to save a lot of good stuff for the oh, next yeah, episode. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, we want people to keep listening. Yeah. We want to give them reason to keep coming back. So makes sense. Our awesome personalities well, are reason I, enough. Yeah, that's true. At this point. We that could just, true. I mean, let's face it. We could just, you know, we just be like, hey, what's up? We're John Agreda. We're just going to talk about whatever. Whatever. And, you know, I'm sure people would listen then. Probably. Probably not. No. I guess it <laughs> depends what we talked about. Hmm. Well, anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm already looking forward to the next episode then. Yeah. It'll be good. We're gonna talk. We are gonna talk about interesting stuff on the next I episode. Know we are. So That's you should. Why listen. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So that is the story of the disaster of the Gladden Fields. How that tragic moment in the history of Middle Earth came to pass. But there's more. On the next episode, we will be going deeper into the details of the account, as well as examining what happened when Aragorn discovered some of Isildur's lost artifacts in Orthanc at the end of the third age. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. All right, correspondence time. Correspondence. Yeah, we got a good bit of correspondence to okay. go through this week. We'll Let's start off with an iTunes comment, which was uh, me likey. Yeah. So <laughs> this is from uh, Robert H. Or Robert HH, I guess I could say. Five stars, great token tribute. Really enjoy the insight and the knowledge. Fun to read along with them. This show is great. Oh, cool. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you, Robert. Thank you so much, Robert. We appreciate those kind words. Thank you very much. We appreciate that you said them to the entire world like that and mm -hmm. helped us out on the, uh, you know, on the search rankings for iTunes. For so, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Very much appreciate that. All right. Our next note is from David R. And this is from October 8th. David left a comment on episode 195, The Future of Middle-Earth 2020 edition. David said, Regarding opera, I recommend The Ring, Der Ring des Nibelungen by Wagner. The scale and scope of the story is epic. It follows the struggles of gods, heroes, and several mythical creatures, dwarves, giants, etc., over the eponymous magic ring that grants domination over the entire world. 
the drama and intrigue continue through three generations of protagonists until the final cataclysm at the end. I've always felt it was an obvious choice for Tolkien fans. Hmm. Interesting. I can see why. You know, I've heard that relate. I've I've heard that connection made uh, in the past, and uh, and for me, like opera is just not something that I've I've um, done a lot of, you know, listening listening to, to right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know many people who have a lot of respect for appreciate it a lot. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, maybe one of these days, maybe it's that opera that I just need to listen to, right? Maybe. Now I know I know some of it because. <laughs> Of uh, I believe that some of it is from uh, is used in uh, in the famous um, uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's like, um, it's it's him and I think it's um, I think it's Daffy Duck, and they basically do like this whole opera thing back and forth and it's really it's really funny it's really clever but I think they actually has selections from uh, from The Ring by Wagner <laughs> so. Who would have thought? It may be something else by Wagner, but I'm almost I'm almost certain it's Wagner. So, hmm. um, well, thank you for that recommendation. Yes, David. thank you very much. We will. Um, I will keep that noted. I may just go ahead and throw it into throw the opera itself into uh, into iTunes, so I can just sit down and listen to it one day here. Yeah, not a bad idea. Yeah, every once in a while I'll get on a I get on kind of a classical music kick, mm-hmm. and I just uh, and I listen to classical music for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks mm-hmm. without listening to anything else. Mm. Probably my brain needs it from you know needs to listen to this really good high quality stuff. Yeah. So, I agree. Yeah, I think we all could listen to more high quality stuff. Yeah, like you know sure. classical. You know, not to say other music isn't high quality, but like uh, classical music, there's um, well, just something very relaxing and. Like or refreshing not always it. relaxing sometimes it's not relaxing but but well, it's just it's just beautiful you know it's just beautiful in a different way you know uh, it engages your brain in a different that way that is I think. true that is true so. yep all right our next note is from joey s let's see here gotta find it in iq of all these messages here where is it where is we're it? just where is so it? popular bear with us people oh just scrolling through pages and pages and pages <laughs> Yes. Well, it's, you really maybe should it's be more organized. I know. I know. I try. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here we go. Joey S. said, absolutely no reason for that stuff in this show. Referring to all the stuff we've talked about with oh, Electronic Prime. I, th- I thought he was talking about me <laughs> and like all <laughs> my random comments. <laughs> oh, man. I was like, wait a second, Joey. I thought we were friends. He's right back and be like, no, I meant you. I meant both of you. <laughs> No, Joey's Joey's uh, good people. Joey is good people. He so he said absolutely no reason for that stuff in this show. I hope it's only a rumor. We we do too at yes. the end of the day. Tolkien never included this stuff because it was not what he wanted. They need to pay attention to that and realize true fans will not watch this show. We don't look forward to nudity, sex, and nudity or sex in this in his realm. It's not necessary, and it actually would take away from the power of the story that is Numenor in the Second Age. This ticked me off when I heard this stuff. If I wanted to watch Game of Thrones, then I would. We want Middle Earth, not a perverted and twisted view of Tolkien's works. Boom. Boom. Yep. I mean, that's it right there. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen, Joey. Amen, Joey. Preach it. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, everybody understands Game of Thrones was really popular, and it's got its fans out there, but at the end of the day, you're making a huge mistake if you try and make a Middle Earth show like mimic what Game of Thrones was. Mm-hmm. Middle Earth should be Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to mimic anything else. Nope. And if you think it, can it does, stand on its own for if sure. If you think it does, you're just wrong. You are you're wrong and you're unworthy of writing for it. Of you know of of creating something mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. So agreed. Um, let's see here. So what's next? Thanks, thanks, Joey. Yes, sorry. Yes, thank you, Joey. Um, Phew. Our I thought next we were note, on, a, on for another so, yeah, soapbox. No, 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 no. Well, I can go if you want I know to. you can, but uh, I'm good. Next note is from Namdar on October 20th. He says, sorry, I don't, uh, I'm not sure actually if it's a um, male or female who's writing this. I'm not sure with the name Namdar. Um, it's, it's not a name I'm familiar with, so my apologies ahead of time, um, uh, but I'll go ahead and read your note. I really enjoy your show, especially your most recent episode on the Lord of the Rings Amazon Prime series. As a dedicated Tolkien reader, I've read The Silmarillion twice and only grasped half, half of the book. Truth be told, the stories about the creation of the world and the early challenges of the Valar distract me from the rest of the masterpiece. In regards to the Valar, I observe a lot of characteristics they share with Zoroastrianism's Amesha Spinta. 
Both are groups of immortal angelic beings with defined genders, elemental powers, and specific duties. Just as the Amesha Spinta represent the various divine attributes of Ahura Mazda, the Valar are the manifestations of Iluvatar's luminous spirit. When considering the comparison, one begins to wonder if Professor Tolkien had knowledge of the Amasha Spinta. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the matter. That's a great question, Namdar. So I this is the first I've heard of that. I'm I'm familiar with Zoroastrianism on a very vague high level. Um but, you know, just that of his existence basically. And I've always understood it as a um yeah, I've always it was always explained to me as like a a monothe a monotheistic religion. Um but maybe it is a monotheistic religion in the same way that Tolkien's universe is truly monotheistic in the sense that there is only one God, right? Mm-hmm. God, God, right? The ultimate being. And then all, all of the other powerful beings, right, are not, are not gods in the same way that he is, right? They, they're created beings, right? So maybe that's how this works with Zoroastrianism. It maybe sounds like that. Uh, but Namdar, the question you're asking is a really interesting one and uh, one that I am personally incapable of answering, but I'm throwing it out there in case anybody else uh, who's listening has knowledge of mm. such things and can speak to whether Tolkien um, maybe borrowed ideas from Zoroastrianism with his own mythology. So yeah, yeah. So if it's, you know, hit us up. It's an interesting question to mm-hmm. be sure. It really is. So for sure, yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, I think I, uh, we, we've we've of course talked plenty on this show about uh, the influence of of uh, Christianity on on Tolkien's on Tolkien's works and on his universe, but it's always been kind of a sticky point of with a lot of, with a lot of Christians, honestly, with, um, you know, the idea that there's like Iluvatar, but then there's all these other powerful gods. Right. And, um, and, you know, Christianity tends to be a very, it is a monotheistic religion. So, um, people are like, well, why does he have all these other gods in there? And for me, it's one of the most interesting aspects of his works and something I'd like to explore eventually, um, you know, how that aligns in his mind, because I think it was something that C.S. Lewis actually um, maybe had a, had a similar idea of, right? That there were, you know, there, that Christianity has its God, has its God the, ultimate, the ultimate being, right? The one who is eternal, who is the ground of all being. And then you have... Um, you have all these created gods, right? Created powerful beings, but they are nonetheless finite beings, right? Mm-hmm. They're nonetheless finite creatures. Mm-hmm. So um, is that possible? Uh, you know, I think I think Tolkien and Lewis might have held that that's possible within the, um, you know, within a Christian understanding of the cosmos, right? Um, I think, you know, there's an argument made that angels are that very, you know, that very mm-hmm. thing, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, it would be a very interesting topic to do. So Namdar, thank you for the question. I'm sorry I'm not better equipped to answer it in a uh, you know very knowledgeable way, but maybe uh, some of our listeners out there who are knowledgeable of such things can weigh in in an educated fashion. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. stay in touch, Namdar. Yes, thanks for the note. Yes, thank you very much. All right, our next note is from Jonathan R. Uh, it's been a while since we heard from Jonathan. So he is sending us a note uh, saying it's been a while, right? He says, howdy, Tolkien Teamsters. Sorry to drop off the face of the earth for a while. I had to put down The Hobbit and wasn't going to listen until I was able to read each chapter. I recently took a few days and finished off the book, which is not a first edition in the sense I was hoping for, but was a first edition of the illustrated version. Still very good, but not what I expected. Anyway, I finished off the second half of the book before a long work trip requiring me to drive a lot, which allowed me to binge several episodes. While I am still not caught up to your current episodes, I am almost finished with your episodes on The Hobbit. I wanted to drop you a line as you had mentioned me in a few episodes. Thanks for that. Still can't wait. Still can't believe it when I hear you say my name. I'm glad you enjoyed that tidbit I sent about the smog genus. Yeah, I remember that. There's several episodes ago for us now, but the uh, the smog genus of bird, I believe. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Um, in your episode on the Gathering of the Clouds, episode 163, you brought up the birds and subsequently me... Uh, Greta was right. I did enjoy all those birds. I loved that the thrush could speak to the men of Dale and the ravens could speak to dwarves. So just to refresh you, Greta, because I know it's been a while since we heard from Jonathan. I believe he's an ornithologist. Yes, right? um, that's it's coming back. Yeah, to so me. so yeah. he is a uh, he's a professional bird bird guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, well, as he says later in his email, he says he says he's a profession he's a bird nerd. So he's a professional bird nerd. I like right? that. Yeah. Good deal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So. Um, 
I love that the thrush could speak to the men of Dale and the ravens could speak to dwarves. There's probably a lot to unpack right there, but I won't get too bogged down. You also joked about having me on the show to discuss birds and Tolkien. Um, while I obviously would love to be on the show for fan-related reasons, I would also add that birds play a very large role in Tolkien's lore and Legendarium, which I think would be an interesting topic to discuss. Also, I will note that of the few specific kinds of birds that play the biggest parts in Tolkien's writing, those being eagles, thrush, raven, vultures, even the bam and brown owls the dwarves tell Bilbo to hoot like before he approaches Tom, Bert, and William, the trolls, those are all forest birds. The only other bird that falls outside that are the gulls that call the elves to the west. Those may be up there in importance with the eagles, given their relation to the elves, Olmo, and Iluvatar. Other than that, there are no waterfowl, game birds, or others really mentioned. The reason I stress the forest birds is because of Tolkien's great esteem for trees. These are all birds that have remarkably close relations to trees. The thrush in The Hobbit is described like our, our Swainsons, hermit, gray-cheeked, or wood thrush. Uh, they, those are all deep forest birds that you can hear from very far and sound as if they are coming from the depths of the woods. Their songs are beautiful and ethereal. Hermit thrushes are very fluty, almost having an elvish sound to them. I digress. These are not birds found on common lawn or park. These are birds that prefer the forest floors beneath great, tall, deep patches of trees. The only breeding population of Swainson's thrush in Pennsylvania is found in the Allegheny National Forest. Within that forest is one of the oldest growth strands of trees left in Pennsylvania. Unsurprising that these birds should choose such a special place. I've been to these places, and they are truly magical in a sense I believe Tolkien would understand. I walk through those woods and imagine Ents shepherding the oaks and hickory and the spruce and walnut. Tolkien loved trees, and I love birds. The two are intertwined in so many ways. I like to think Tolkien enjoyed the birds inhabiting his favorite trees. Boom. Man, dropping some so amazing good. amazing bird knowledge on I us know. here. This is really good stuff. So they're all forest birds, right? Mm-hmm. You know, most well, of the birds, except for the goals, mm-hmm. right? Uh, needless to say, I could go on and on and on down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. How did Tolkien put it? I don't have the gift of brevity. Something along <laughs> those lines. Get me started on birds, toss in some Tolkien lore, and best put on another pot of tea because I could go on for hours. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, That's so you know, good. Jonathan, I just have to say, I'm, I am happy for you that you found that, that you are in, that you found your, your career mm-hmm. in the thing that you, like you seem to love the most. Absolutely. That's really cool. That's a really, it's a great gift. Absolutely. Um, you know, your, uh, your, your knowledge of birds here is just, uh, is remarkable mm-hmm. and, and very interesting. Um, P.S. I wanted to make a note about black squirrels as this is a topic that continues to pop up around Tolkien's writing. I'm not familiar with the European variant, but in the U.S., black squirrels are simply a pigment variant of fox squirrels. Unlock their fox red brethren, black squirrels are simply all black. Oh, I think you meant unlike their fox red brethren, black squirrels are simply all black. Mm -hmm. Similar to an albino lacking all pigment, these black squirrels have all of it. Just a simple genetic mutation passed down through the population. They aren't a subspecies or anything. It's like in a family of brunettes and one turns out blonde. Hmm. PPS, I hope you are both well and the show is going strong. I see new Patreon emails about new episodes all the time, it seems. Keep up the great work, and I hope to catch up to current episodes very soon. All the best. Your bird nerd pal, John. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So good. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. It's great hearing from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks for dropping all that incredible uh, Tolkienian bird knowledge mm-hmm. on us. Yeah, right? It would be a fun episode to just yeah. focus on the birds. Absolutely. I mean, you know... It just never fails with Tolkien, right? Yeah, there's always always more to talk like about. Like, if I was going to write a story, I'd just, you know, I'd be like, oh, let's throw in some birds over here and, you know, like for effect and everything like that. And Tolkien's like, no, it's it's just so, like, it's just so real. It's I just know. so organic. And they, have all, they all each have so much significance. Like, yeah. he doesn't just randomly pick yeah. the birds. Like, he chooses them for reasons. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know. So for well all, thought for, out. For all of the thoughtfulness, you know, you know, for all, all of how much we probably wish that we had more stories, you know, from that he wrote just the time that he had to spend on these stories and fleshing out the mythology just for himself, for his own satisfaction. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's truly, it's truly a remarkable thing. It's something I'm very uh, thankful for and it makes it truly special. It really does. It really, really does. And our final notes are from, uh, Jennifer. We have a couple of notes from a longtime listener, Jennifer and, uh, she starts off by responding to our episode 212, which is the one where we shared the news of Latron Prime, the Latron Prime uh, scandals first, if you will. 
And she wrote in response to that comment, she said, uh, she, she left a comment and said, is Doctor Who would say, what, what, what? Please, no Game of Thrones stuff in Tolkien. That is the kind of thing we don't need to see. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Right there. That and sums then, it up. And then she wrote in response to the recent episode, she said, hello, John and Greta. An inspiring idea came to me this morning concerning the Amazon Prime series. Get as many people as you can to pray. Pray for the people at Amazon that they will make the right choices. Pray for the writers and directors. Pray that Amazon will produce a Middle-earth series that will be upright and objectively moral and will include the Christian elements, themes, and symbolism. Pray that the people involved with this production will listen to the Tolkien fans and to the Tolkien estate and family. God bless you both and your family, Jennifer. Thank you so much, mm-hmm. Jennifer. And uh, I mean, yeah, you know, I, for uh, if you're if you are like Greta and I and... Um, you know, you pray and you believe in the power of prayer. I think that's a very worthy cause, right? Because, um, this is, this is an important show, right? It's, it's truly an important show because as we, as people who create, you know, a Tolkien podcast and do a Tolkien podcast. And like so many of you, we believe that, uh, Tolkien's works are truly special, Mm -hmm. right? Um, they are, um, they're on a plane, unlike any other stories, you know, that we have. And, so they deserve a treatment that Tolkien would be proud of, would be happy with. And I think that's what I want most for these stories is that Tolkien himself to, to believe that if Tolkien himself were around, then he would, then he would approve of how these stories are done. And then he would right? watch the series. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we will definitely be doing that, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Thank you uh, for that reminder to, to pray and, um, you know, not to be, you know, if, if things don't be seeming to go right, not to be, you know, spiteful or, uh, you know, vengeful minded or anything like that about it, but just to, um, you know, to pray, to pray that, um, the people would, you know, the, the people who are in charge of the show would see it not as a, um, you know, not as it's just like, well, let's just churn out another Hollywood production, but as something that they're handling, that's truly a sacred work of art, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. Um, and it needs to be handled with care and with attention and like a true work of art. Mm-hmm. So word, great note. Indeed. All right. Well, that's some great correspondence for this week. Yeah. Really, really good. We'd love to hear from you. Um, uh, if you, uh, We'd love to hear from you if you've written before. If you haven't written before, just send us correspondence at TolkienRoadPodcast at gmail.com, through TolkienRoad.com, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is. And um, we will respond to you in due time. So, yeah. Yes. I love how vague that is. In <laughs> well, due time. Sometimes it takes a little longer than others. So, you I know, know. It's just we do our best. All right, y'all. Well, we, um, we appreciate everybody listening. Um, we want to give a shout out Oh, on our next episode. We'll continue with the disaster of the Gladden fields and uh, look at everything else in that chapter. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good. And it'll be good. Yeah, it will be. It'll be real good. All right. Well, hey, special thanks to our patrons, especially the following. Shannon S. Brian O. Emilio P. Zeke F. James A. James L. Chris L. Chuck F. Asia V. Ish of the Hammer. Teresa C. David of Pints with Jack. Jonathan D. Eric S. Joey S. Eric B. Caitlin of T with Tolkien. Matt L. Johanna T. Todd G. Ms. Anonymous. And Sam N. Thank you all so Thank much. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. And we will talk at you next time. Yes, we will. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.